Welcome to the Lewis Jonker Podcast. Lewis is a speaker, storyteller, preacher and poet. Hope you get something out of this talk. In 2015, I got the amazing opportunity to visit the Middle East and to go to Jordan and Israel and it was a pretty amazing experience. Uh, our tour started in, in the country of Jordan and we we did all the touristy things there and that was quite amazing and learned all that we could learn in that space. And then we were crossing the border over into Israel, but one of the first places you stop is like a truck stop uh, in, I guess, what you would call modern-day Jericho. So there's this big truck stop there where you go into the truck stop and it's where all the tour buses stop and you, you, know, you get a plate and you get your food and it's just a lot of falafel and olives and pita bread and hummus and uh, it's great. And uh, at that spot, there is this fountain, this this decorative garden and a, a fountain in the middle of that. And uh, the, tour, the tour guide, the bus driver, uh, he encourages everyone to go and drink from this fountain or this spring in what is the oldest city of the world. And... Uh, you're about to go into Israel, the promised land, or you, you know, you're heading in, it's, it's, the, it's like the first day, and the excitement is there, like the energy is there, this is, this is the moment, this is the moment, We're gonna, I'm going to see what I came here to see, and then you go over to this fountain, and you, and you put your, you know, you cup your hands under the spout, you take a big drink, and I tell you what, it was like one of the, the sweetest sips of water I've ever had. I don't know if the water was any different. It's probably just a normal, normal bit of water. But with all that excitement, all that energy, the, 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 the rush of the world around as like tour buses are coming in and out, I tell you what, it was one of the sweetest tastes of water I've ever had in my life. It was so refreshing. <laughs> to share in that experience with me, you would have to go over to the Middle East and you'd have to taste it for yourself. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. When we go into our world and we're sharing about God, when we're reflecting who we are, we want to give the world an opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. This spring left a great taste in my mouth. Everything and anything can leave a taste in our mouth and our actions and our behaviour can leave a taste in the mouths of those around us. The Bible mandates us to walk out into this big old world to reveal the love of God to those around us. But what is the taste that we leave in their mouths when we do? So how do we make sure that we taste good? Well, today... I want to share some spiritual principles and some candid reflections on how we can ensure we taste as good as we look. And to go through the scriptures today, I'm, I'm going all the way back to the Old Testament, to the book of Kings, and we're going to go through 2 Kings um, 2, 19 to 22. So you can join me in that if you would like, and then we're going to flick back and forth through some other scriptures, uh, but I'm quite excited this morning because Kings is, both books of Kings are my favourite books uh, to preach from, and we're going to have a look. 2 Kings 2, 
19 says this. There's a prophet, there is a prophet called Elisha, who is the new man who is going to speak on behalf of God to a generation. Uh, the God figure in this text, he's, he's speaking on behalf of God. He goes throughout the regions doing miracles. He's a, he's a prophet, he's a holy man, a man who speaks on behalf of God. And he's uh, in Jericho. And the men of that city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. The men of Jericho come out to Elisha and they say, Behold, we need your help. We need a miracle. We, we, man of God who speaks, but we need your help because the situation in this city is pleasant. It's a beautiful place. It's a good region. Uh, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. I had an amazing experience in the Middle East. It was beautiful. As you drive through Israel, you're shocked. In one moment, it's beautiful cliff faces, and then you're seeing vines, and then you're seeing fruit, and then you drive just 10 minutes more, and it's beautiful mountains. You drive 10 minutes more, and it's vast, beautiful deserts. One of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. The Middle East is amazing. It's pleasant. The situation of it is pretty good, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. Beautiful spaces, beautiful places can be full of so much pain as we know in the world right now. That beautiful country, that beautiful pleasant landscape is full of so much bad water, it's full of so much unproductivity, it's full of so much pain, full of so much death. This is what that beautiful pleasant place looks like right now. This is a recent photo from the last couple of days. We know what this is like in our, in our own country. We live in a beautiful spot, the Central Coast. I'm so glad that I moved here at 17. What a wonderful place. We've got the beaches. We have the bushwalks. We have, we have everything you could possibly ask for. Uh, the Central Coast is a wonderful, beautiful place. This is terrible just down the road. I mean, we've got a, we've got a, we live in a country and we live in a region that dolphins jump through our waves. How beautiful. But if you know anything about pleasant places, pleasant locations, well, the, the, sometimes the water can be bad. Temporary health warning. Water sampling in this area indicated elevated bacteria levels. Swimming not recommended. This sign goes up far too often at Terrigal. And their use of the term bacteria, I think, is... You know, that's a pleasant, <laughs> I think they're being kinder. I think they could, we know what's in that water, don't we? <laughs> All pipes lead to Terrigal Beach. Pleasant location, pleasant space, but the water is bad. It could be unproductive. You could leave the water with a rash on your body. Not only are spaces and places pleasant, but uh, I go out into the world and I see so much beauty, not only in the world, but in human beings. Oh, there's some pleasantness about humans. Aren't we so creative? Aren't we so wonderful? Don't we do amazing things? 
Don't we have the ability in science to, like doctors work in our, in our midst to heal people with their gifts and their talents? We have amazing artists and films and creativity. Human beings are amazing things. I love YouTube channels, uh, YouTube channels that are like, just like, just look up uh, top, I don't know, crazy things human beings do and there'll be like YouTube videos of people doing amazing, unbelievable things and people will be doing backflips and jumping through city landscapes and people will be doing, you know, basketball shots where they get five in a row from like the other side of the court. Humans are amazing. Uh, we're pleasant. But sometimes it's like the water is bad and it's unproductive. I know that because I'm a human being and I know that... Um, I have the ability to do a lot of good. I also have the ability to do a lot of bad. Sometimes there's unpleasantness. So what do we do when we recognise all the pleasantness? Sometimes the situation's good, but the water can be bad and unproductive. So Elisha said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. He said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. This is a cool little passage. I like to think of it as a metaphor. The question we must ask ourselves is, what does this salt represent? Or perhaps even better, who is the salt? I think when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says uh, some very, very famous words, uh, when he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I wonder when Jesus said these words, if his disciples and if his followers on that hill heard him say these words, if some of them may have thought back to the children's story they learnt from kings. And I wonder if some of them thought, oh, I remember a story about where a prophet used salt, where a prophet asked for a bowl of salt. I wonder if some people in this audience had a throwback to the Old Testament, a throwback to this story of Elisha and the bowl of salt. I read a lot of commentaries this week. This passage can be taken so many different ways. I, ho I heard theories about salt bricks in ovens. I heard um, stories about um, salt boxes where they would let fish cure. I heard stories about the evaporative process in which you harvest salt from the Dead Sea. I, ultimately, every theologian said, well, take it how you will, but I'm going to land with salt tastes good. You put it on food. When I go to KFC, I ask for extra salt. Hey, don't laugh too hard. This is a good tip. Because in order to put the extra salt in, they have to, they have to put the salt in, right? And then they have to, like, they have to, they have to like sort of get the cup and, and, and tap it on the, tap it so the salt filters through, which means they have to put extra chips in. So... Here ends my sermon. Uh, be blessed. <laughs> Salt tastes good. Truthfully, Jesus, throughout this um, Sermon on the Mount, 
he's about to tell his followers how to be salt. So he says, you ought to be salt of the earth. If salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? It may as well be trampled underfoot. And then Jesus goes on to talk about a bunch of stuff. He talks about, to talk about anger. He talks about lust. He talks about divorce. He talks about oaths. He talks about retaliation. He talks about loving your enemies. He talks about giving to the needy. He talks about fasting. He talks about not being anxious. He talks about not judging others. He talks about praying. He talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. He, Jesus literally goes on through the rest of this passage to tell you exactly how to be salt, how to be tasty, the, the life you should live. You know, as Christians, we are called to be salt. We truly are. We're called to be somewhat different. I've had meals that are not salty enough. When I go to KFC and there's no salt on the chips, that sucks. So I've had meals that are too salty. I don't know if sometimes Christians can be a little bit overbearing, you know, to other people out there in our world. Uh, sometimes the people, when you ask for extra salt, they know what you're doing. And like, if they're really cheeky behind the drive-through shelf, they'll really give you extra salts. Like, you know, like, this is what you get for being a difficult customer. And I'm a fan of chips and I still eat them, but it becomes a little bit more difficult Jesus goes on to tell us the way that we should live. And I think an important question is, you are meant to be able to taste the difference. When people interact with us, they are meant to be able to taste the difference. Now, I want to go down a little creative path here. And it's just uh, some, I don't know, some reflections of my own that I've been thinking about. Uh, we are interacting with non-Christians all the time. I mean, we often are in this space, in this church community where we're interacting with other Christians and I know that we can leave tastes in each other's mouths too. But I want to focus specifically with this ripple, ripple effect series when we go out into our world. What taste are we leaving in the mouths of those who don't yet believe in Jesus? Uh, that's what I really want to focus on here. I think that's what's really, truly important. And I think a lot of non-Christians are open to spirituality. I find in the youth ministry, I find with young adults, I feel like there's a changing of the tide where people are genuinely interested in spiritual things. The truth is if they're not coming into our church, they're probably reading their horoscopes and they're probably doing this, that and the other. People are interested in spiritual things. And I want to introduce them to Jesus. But when non-Christians interact with Christians, people who use the label Christian, they're expecting something. They're expecting us to be different. They want to know, does this stuff work? Does it actually change the way that people taste? And sadly, throughout history, uh, when non-Christians have gone to interact with Christians, for them, it feels like they're playing a game of um, being boozled. Anyone ever played this game? It's uh, great. It's really cool. I have, a, I have a copy right here. All of these jelly beans look the same. Mmm. The problem is, half of them are tasty treats, and half of them are, are a horrible flavour. Uh, let's see. Uh, birthday cake or dirty dishwasher taste? Uh, tutti frutti or stinky socks? Mmm. Mmm. Juicy pear or booger? <laughs> feel like that's a little bit childish, don't you? Um, I mean, come on, Bean Boozle, come up as a creative. Uh, so if you're watching from home, I'm just walking into the audience and everyone has a 
look of fear and trepidation on their faces. Uh, Josh Kay, would you like to play? This is what it's like for non-Christians walking into a church or interacting with you when you call yourself a Christian. They're saying things like, am I about to get, am I about to get um, buttered popcorn or a rotten egg? That's what people are thinking. Now, it's not just our fault. I mean, non-Christians can be pretty sceptical of the church because of things like the Royal Commission, things that come out in the news, documentaries on the Hillsong Church, you know, all these sorts of things. It's no surprise that people are a little bit sceptical. But they are hoping that they're going to get a good taste. Josh K, would you like to randomly, randomly take a pick of a jelly bean? He's now taking a jelly bean. What do you think, Josh? Is... Wait, I need to look. Mm-hmm. What do you think you got there? Very blue. Oh. Oh. Wait, he's saying it's definitely toothpaste. That's okay. I mean, mint's not bad, is it? Mm, who else are we going to pick on? Oh, I see. A, I see a willing suspect just down here. Excellent. You're just going to take a random deep dive in and just hope oh, you get something good. Played this one before. <laughs> you played this one before. Oh, and it can be ugly. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Am I game? Well, it's either going to be a toasted mash- marshmallow or stink bug. <laughs> marshmallow would be good. Marshmallow would be good. Mmm. Mm. Mm. No, no comment. No comment. Mmm. Oh, I met you out, out the front before, sir. Sorry to throw you in the deep end on your first ever Sunday service, but here we like to play games. Um, sure. Okay, let's... Oh. oh, this one's chocolate or liver and onions. Mm. Oh, no, that's not a good look. No, it's definitely chocolate. <laughs> chocolate, good, good, good. Oh, do you know, this is how it can be for people interacting with our world. I have to keep some of the jelly beans for the PM service because the sermon tonight, I think we'll just play this game the whole time because <laughs> the youth and young adults attend. This is what it can be like when people walk into a church. We're meant to be salt. Uh... Let's just go through some of the things in Matthew 5. We are meant to... um, We are meant to give to the needy. And when we interact with non-Christians, they're going to be looking, are these people different? Are these people inherently generous because of the God they live in? Because of the God they believe in? And Yeah, he lives in us. Or... Are they just as, I don't know, do they hold back just as much as everyone else? Do they hold back just as much as me? Are they actually generous? Let's see what else. Judging others. (laughs) Jesus says, be salt of the earth. And then he says further on, judge not that you be not judged. I wonder if the world around us, when we interact with non-Christians, I wonder if they feel more of a sense of judgment than radical than radical acceptance. Uh, one of the keys to youth ministry and working with young people is a radical form of acceptance. That's what I believe in. And if you point them to Jesus, Jesus will then encourage them to be what he has called them to be. Ask and we'll be given prayer. He wants us to be a praying people. Be salty. Be a prayerful people. 
Are we a prayerful people when like, non-Christians interact with us? Do they see a sense of faith? Do they see a sense of hope? I heard a young person uh, come up to me one time and we were talking about, I must have went to some big event and it was like, you know, big guest speaker. And, you know, I thought it was great. This young person came up to me and said, I just don't think that person believes what they were saying. Young people's, you know, they smell authenticity. It's their thing. They can taste it. They can taste it. They really, really can. Do we have a sense of faith? I remember going back to my hometown one time and, you know, uh, I was always very musical. I had musical friends. And I remember we went back to one of my mate's house from the old days and they sort of attended the local Baptist church. Obviously, in a small country town, it's hard to get energy and, like, you know, to have an excitement about faith. And I was like, well, let's just get together and we'll just play some Christian worship songs. And we would have played Christian worship songs for three hours. And one of them turned to me and said, oh, it's, uh, you know, not to big note myself, but he was like, I love it when you're here. It's just like, it's good to get some passion. Like, does the world around us see us as people with passion? that really believe this stuff, that really believe this is life-changing? Do we really believe we can ask and it will be given? Do we really believe in prayer? What do people see when they interact with us? Are they getting a, they getting a good jelly bean or a bad one? I genuinely believe that we need to be doing all we can to be the good jelly beans. Now, the truth is we all fail. We all stuff up. And uh, sometimes we're all a rotten egg. I know I can be. But I believe in trusting in Jesus and the Holy Spirit in continuing to get close to him and engaging with the word and engaging with prayer, we can continue to grow. And in that process of getting closer to Jesus and throwing away all that hinders us and pursuing all manners of purity, all manners of good, all manners of right, we become more like him and there's more of a chance that when people interact with us, they'll get a good jelly bean, not a rotten egg or an old bandage. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, can you taste the difference? I'm always shocked. Like last night at, on Friday at Youth, I'll give you a little youth update because I don't get to do that very often. It was a St. Philip's musical, so congratulations to everyone in the St. Philip's musical. I went to watch Thursday night, and it was unbelievably amazing. I love that God is, uh, has given young people creative gifts. When I watched this musical, it was absolutely phenomenal at St. Philip's. I thought, these are teenagers. We ought to be giving teenagers more responsibility in our church services because what teenagers can do is absolutely unbelievable. Anyway, they also had their musical on Friday night, which meant our youth group was about half the size. <laughs> Thanks, St. Phillips. Um, and uh, obviously the, uh, the vote was on here. Uh, we were hosting the referendum, a voting place, and therefore we were using the lower hall because this space was not allowed. So down there there's no lights. There's a sound system, but it's just it's too annoying for us to have to bother plugging into. Um, and, you know, there's this very bare room down there. And so I was pretty much just going by ear. I was like, well, let's just see what the vibes are on Friday night. And we had about 55 people because, as I said, we we're about half the size. And at one point I thought, well, it looks like everyone's getting along. Let's go in the lower room and see what we can do. Quick, um, uh, Josh Corkill, get your guitar. Liv, do you have any song ideas? Oh, yeah, can we grab the bass drum as well? So we went down there. We didn't plug in. We didn't do anything else. And we just live... Uh, 
Liv, uh, one of our youth, just started singing these tags and Josh Corker was able to find the chords quickly and we just had a time of worship and it was beautiful. No microphones, no plugged in, no nothing. And um, these 50 kids just singing their lungs out, no words on a screen. They just, you know, these are just the songs that the youth know, so there's no words on the screen, just the simple tags. And uh, it was phenomenal. Uh, and these young people, they, they sang. They really, really, really sang. In fact, I had a few leaders whose watches gave them a notification about the decibel warning. You know, it's like the smart watches these days like warn you if it's too loud to protect your ears, put, in some, put on some earmuffs. And I had a few leaders whose watches went off because it was too loud down in the lower room. There were also some kids who had never been to youth ministry before. You know, the year sixes who come for the first time or someone who brought their friend. And you see them standing there like, what is this? <laughs> then all of a sudden a mosh pit starts during one of the fast songs and everyone's like pushing into each other and they're all, you know, they're falling over left, right and centre. And you see, then their eyes just like go, whoa. And they, they get amongst that. They know what that looks like. And then the slow songs start again and they're like, now, I'm sure that's very difficult for these new kids. But I can tell you what, when you leave a room like that, I don't know if those kids will come to faith straight away, but I tell you what, they know what we believe. They leave that room with a taste in their mouth, being around other young people. You've got to remember, these are, our, these are, our, these are not the young people who attend St. Philip's and hear the gospel every day. These are our other kids, singing God's praise. That is a good taste. Mm-hmm. And so, Elisha, he went to the spring of water and he threw the salt in it. And I want to encourage you, church, when you're in spaces and places in your life where you're like, God, why have you put me here? I believe God is throwing us into the bitter springs. God wants to take us, his salt, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he wants to take us out into our community, into the most bitter places, into the places where the water is bad. And he, like this God figure, this Elisha character, he's like the God figure in this story. He wants to, God wants to grab a handful of salt. He is reaching into Narara Valley Baptist Church. He's grabbing a handful of salt out the bowl. And he is going to throw you into bitter springs, into bitter places, into, into terrible circumstances. And a lot of you are going to be thinking, God, why have you put me? here? Why have you put me in this workplace? Why have you put me in this school? Why have you put me in this university? Why have you put me in this situation? Why have you put me into this family? And God is saying, I've put you here and I'm throwing you here because God wants to put you into bitter springs. That's what he wants. Christians are on this planet for a reason, to be God's hands and feet. Not here to relax. We're here to go. It's what this Ripple Effect series is about. It's what this overflow year is about. Um, I'm sure a God-given Holy Spirit-led word to Pastor Travis for the vision of this church, that we will be a church that overflows into the people and the space and the world around us, even if they are bitter springs. That's why God's put you there. If you came to church this morning, you're thinking, why God? That could be why. Felt like an American preacher there for a second. I apologise. Throws the salt in. 
And Elisha says, thus says the Lord, I've healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. The water was literally causing death as the animals and things would drink it. I've healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. I believe as God puts us into bitter springs, he can use us to turn those bitter springs around. I genuinely do. I believe it with the deepest parts of me. I think about countries like China, um, you know, like where they have restrictions on how faith should be expressed and how Christianity should be approached. Yet Christianity in China is growing at a rapid rate more than anywhere else in the world. It's almost as if God said, I need a bunch of salt for China. He puts the bunch of salt there and slowly that entire country is being transformed by Christianity at a rapid rate, faster than the West. Uh, with, even with restrictions and minimizations on the way that faith should be expressed in that country. And I believe God wants to turn your workplace around, um, not for your sake, not for your sake, not in like a, a prosperity gospel way. He wants to turn your workplace around as in he wants the people that you work with to meet Jesus just like you know him. He wants your school to be turned around. Uh, he wants your families to be turned around. Uh, he wants your situations to be turned around. Uh, God wants the people in those spaces to taste the salt and not get a bad jelly bean, but a good one. And the only way we can become good jelly beans is by trusting the Lord will continue to transform us and pray into that. And so the water has been healed to this day according to the word Elisha spoke. And I know that for a fact because I drank from that spring and it was one of the nicest tasting mouthfuls of water I've ever had in my life. Generational change. Transformation. What we're doing down in that youth ministry is not temporary. I'm thinking about the couple of kids who come here and have their like, life absolutely changed from their family of origin. And then... They raise children who assault, and those children raise children who assault, and those children raise children who assault. Uh, this is generational stuff. This is the real deal until Jesus comes back. I believe it wholeheartedly, everything about it. So my encouragement to us this morning is this. We want the world to taste the difference. And the world is worried about being being boozled. I'm sorry I haven't given you many practical tips how to not be a rotten egg. Apart from get closer to Jesus. And you can do that in so many different ways. But pursue him in your own personal, private way. Reading the Bible, listening to podcasts, continuing to faithfully step into this church building even when it's difficult. Continue to grow. And God can... Uh, Turn your flavours around. I encourage you. You've got to be a little bit of salt. You can't be afraid. Have some courage. I reckon one of the reasons the church in China grows is probably because of courage. Now, I'm not a geopolitical expert. There's better people at that in the room. 
and you should talk to them, but that's one of my suspicions. Similarly, don't be too salty. Uh, if you're overbearing, maybe it works for some generations, but I would encourage you that an overbearing Christianity that's too salty, uh, young people, young adults will spit that straight out of their mouths. It's just the way the generations are going. So I encourage you not to be too over the top. You're going to have to explore what that means for yourself and pray to God that he, in his infinite wisdom, would help you become all you are called to be so that he can reach down and put you in his bowl of salt so that he can go to the bitter springs and turn them sweet, not just in the moment, but for generations to come. I'll pray and the band can join us. God, I thank you for who you are. Holy Spirit, make us more like Jesus. Transform us. Make us good jelly beans. Make us tasty salt. God, we're afraid, but throw us into bitter springs anyway so that we can turn those bitter springs around. Amen.